We are delighted to be once again brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription journalism service providing the best coverage of Manchester United and more from writers like Laurie Whitwell, Oliver Kay, Adam Crafton, David Ornstein and Daniel Taylor. Their world-class team of writers is brought to you completely ad-free on their app. There's no ads, no annoying pop-ups and they go really in-depth on a huge range of topics around all different aspects of football. To start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription, meaning it works out to just £2.50 a month, head to theathletic.co.uk slash nqatpod. That's theathletic.co.uk slash nqatpod. remember what we predicted on the show ed but i'm pretty sure we both said 6-0 win right yeah. that seems like the tone of the last show i, I put a bet on it win. from <laughs> bet 45 red <laughs> something um i you know what i can't even remember because i'm not I think, sure we did think... much of a preview given that we didn't actually know who we we're going to play at the time of recording the last podcast it felt entirely inevitable that we would have to play on that pitch, though, given everything that was going on. And it doesn't so far touch wood like it's nine o'clock on Sunday evening. I'm not seeing tons of reports about United players with broken legs no. just yet. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, they were able, given the early goals, to ease off, especially in the second half. And hopefully that um, that saves some legs for our upcoming famous victory on Wednesday night over City. We'll get to that in a bit. So I guess um, this game really, there's, there, there are two talking points as far as I can tell. One, the formation. And I think really that talking point extends to, yeah, these are the fit players and this is the best way of getting some fit players onto the pitch. But actually it worked rather well because the the defenders in particular were able to really thrive in terms of adding to our attacking play. Um, and And then... The second talking point is we'll just talk through the goals, really, because they, they were nice. We liked them. Um, but obviously, beating uh, League 2, League 2? League, league 1. League 1 doesn't really... Bottom tell, third of League 1. Yeah, doesn't tell us anything about anything whatsoever, except that the immediate pressure has probably been absorbed, even if we get spanked 4-0 by City. We're not yes. going to see lots of Solskjaer sack chat. There is City... Wolves and Chelsea to come. So there are some yeah, tough games in the next week and a bit. Yeah. Uh, so the, that pressure can return quite quickly, and I suspect uh, it may well do. But uh, yeah, of course, you know, if United had been beaten here, there would have been an uh, almighty amount of pressure for Solskjaer to be given the order of the boot, uh, which um, uh, everyone at United and our favourite PR people have been telling us is definitely not going to happen. It would take a miracle for Solskjaer to not be in situ by come the summer. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about that after we uh, we talk about the show after the show the game. Um, yes. So who scored first? I mean, like Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire scored first. First yeah. goal for United. He's he's not a prolific goal scorer, although I think everyone feels like he should be or something. You know, big big old slab head. Um, but uh, but he got one for United finally. 
Do you know who was a prolific goal-scoring centre-back for Manchester United, Ed? You know who was absolutely class, easily worth eighty million in today's money? Den- Dennis Irwin. Dennis Irwin was great. I mean, he scored so many free kicks, like storming when, into the box, latching, getting onto Cantona, worldly through you, balls. When he tweets something about Steve Bruce, a man like Steve Bruce, <laughs> Ed, absolutely People are a bit sensitive, aren't they? Aren't they? Absolutely atrocious Steve Bruce slander. This will not stand. I messaged Ed during the week to be like, we need to change the name of the Twitter account so people know it's you, not me. Because he's going out, he's out here tweeting about Steve Bruce in disparaging terms. Outrageous. You called. You said we spent 80 million on Harry Maguire. We spent 80 million on Steve Bruce with a first touch. Harry Maguire wishes he was Steve Bruce with a first touch. <laughs> hey, look. Let me just be clear. I love Steve Bruce. Um, fantastic servant for United. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't question anything about his heart or commitment or what he gave to United or his captaincy. Um, you know the fact that he was such a great ambassador for the club um, during some tough times and then some very good times. Um, and I think I was simply saying there were some limitations to his game. And I reckon he would uh, in the sort of more dynamic football that we have today tactically uh physically um uh, and he might struggle a bit because his limitations were his passing range and his mobility so yeah which which harry Maguire's limitation is not his passing range but it's definitely his mobility yeah as we know harry Maguire's trying to do this all with one hip though but it didn't stop him um absolutely smacking one top bins. Obviously, like everyone assumed when he signed that his goal, when it eventually came, would be getting that big slab head, Steve Bruce style, onto a pounding dramatic header. But instead, he absolutely top bins one from 25 yards. Yeah. Uh, a lovely strike of the ball. Steve Bruce, by the way, you know, t- two very memorable moments. I'll come I'll come to Harry Maguire. But for me... Um, what one obviously scoring a head against Sheffield Wednesday um, to de facto win us the title, where I managed to fall down several flights of stairs uh, in the uh, excitement of it all. Um, great moment, great moment. Uh, other one, um, away at, I believe, if I'm remembering it right, Sheffield United in the FA Cup, where he missed the penalty, hit the post. Um, and uh, let's just say the Manchester United faithful were not very happy about it and decided to uh, kick off somewhat. <laughs> with the locals and, uh, you know, let them know they'd been in a game. <laughs> yeah, terrace culture, something else we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, the uh, the the Maguire goal was a nice one. It was a lovely strike. And it was immediately followed up, or it felt like it was immediately followed up by another lovely goal. Three minutes, yeah. yeah. From, L- lovely piece of skill from Diego Dallo. Um, and it, nice to see Dallo back in the side because, you know, he's obviously had big injury problems since he arrived, but... He does look at. He has always looked a talent, Diego Dallo, uh, particularly in a- if they can get him fit. He's going to be a. I mean, look, you you imagine that him fit and Aaron Wambazaka fit. There's not much of a choice. I mean, there's, definitely since Wambazaka is a much better defender, but he gives us loads of options. Dallo, he can play in midfield. He's been successful there. I wouldn't say he was necessarily. A natural, like I'm. I'm not going to pretend I think he's going to become a world class wide player or anything like that. Um, although I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure I said the same thing about Gareth Bale on this here podcast, probably you know episode <laughs> one or something like that. Um, 
But but he you know it would be great to have an option if he was fit and could stay fit and he can play on either either side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Although we've seen him struggle playing on the left, I seem to remember, but it feels like the dim and distant past. But I definitely think there's there's a role for him in, in the squad. And, and certainly I can easily imagine games where you would it'd be really useful to have him wide right and Wan-Bissaka um, behind him. Like they could both play on the same flank sometimes, I think. that's I definitely... Yes, he's not tried it yet, has he, Solskjaer? He's tried Luke Shaw in the back three, but he hasn't tried Wan-Bissaka. And you'd think that'd be a pretty natural for... For Aaron Wan-Bazaka, but he hasn't he hasn't done that yet. Even anyway, then, look, it was it was nice to see Dello back. He got the full game, and uh, he really needs that because he spent so much time um, out in recent years. And, then, and and it's just a great piece of skill to completely. I mean, it's a League One defender, but completely bamboozled him with the the um, like the chop. The, I don't know what what the chop. Yeah. Yes, I was trying to. What, what's the name for that piece I think of it's skill? It's called the chop. Yeah. Like he chops it behind himself, um, and then and then. Like lovely finish as well. The, the it did feel a bit like at that point. Well, especially with what was just about to follow, it did feel a bit like that poor old goalkeeper was like. It's not good to be a goalkeeper who's not very good at defending against long shots against Man United. That's the that's like the one thing you don't want in your who scored weaknesses. That's what you get if you're a City supporting <laughs> goalkeeper. Take that. <laughs> yes, Solskjaer apparently saying to him, "Thanks for firing us up." Um, I'm not sure why their keeper somewhat innocently saying it would be quite good to uh, beat them because I used to be a City fan. Um, I feel like it's quite a reasonable thing for a goalkeeper to say. I'm not sure you need a a picture of his face on a dartboard in the dressing room. It's not quite that level, is it? Not quite. Yeah, so the, the, the next goal... Was the next goal the Lingard one or the Martial one? Jesse Lingard. Yeah, yeah, Jesse Lingard. So, Jesse Lingard... Scored a goal. Still hasn't scored in the Premier League for <laughs> years, and we know, you know, the only thing that counts is the Premier League. It's nice for him. Era, TM. It did feel a little bit much that you're... I mean, on one hand, I'm torn on this, because on one hand, it's his first goal for a year. He must be incredibly relieved. Um, but to put United 3-0 up after, like, 15 minutes against the League One side, do you really need to give it the J-Lings after that? Like, that... that uh, yeah, felt- I, I really did think that. I was like, hmm. I mean, I guess he... Look, he... It means something to him. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. That's why he got his branding out. Yeah. Alongside Phil Jones coming up next. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> I, glorious. So at this point, um, just to, uh, sorry to go on about this like I do every week, but at this point in the cricket, Mark Wood was batting for England. And, and as anyone that follows cricket, like this is a pointless thing to say because everyone who knows what this is knows what I'm talking about and nobody who doesn't would care in the slightest. But Mark Wood's been batting out of his skin in the last two games. So I was a bit like, oh, I can't believe I'm having to watch Man United when Mark Wood's smashing fours for fun. Uh, in the cricket and then and then just when I was like grumpy about that Phil Jones scored I was like oh my god (laughs) we saw this with our own eyes Phil Jones scored in a football match can you remember the last time Phil Jones got a goal it feels like five years ago maybe it isn't but it it feels like I'm sure it is I I don't I I just do not remember I do not remember has he scored one post Fergie after Fergie Said he was the next Duncan Edwards. Has he scored a goal for United? To be fair, it was this gets misquoted a lot, right? Bobby Charlton said he was the next Duncan Edwards. Fergie said he could be the greatest player ever to play for our club. Well, that seems like a level higher. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. 
<laughs> Phil Jones' goal for Manchester United against Tranmere has been set to Titanic music. That's uh, that's the first thing I saw. Um, yeah, I, I I do not remember the last time he scored. Let me look it up on Transfer Market. Um, he scored in season 13-14, so post-Fergie, Moist season. Moist season, against West Bromwich um, in uh, the 29th week of the Premier League season against West Bromwich Albion, a header in a 3-0. He scored three goals that skate season. Scored against Norwich in the uh, League Cup, Shakhtar in the Champions League, and uh, West Brom. So, But this brings his total of United goals ever up to six. Oh. Not bad in, in like 400 games or something like that. Anyway, good for Phil Jones. A lovely looping header, definitely meant it. Definitely wasn't just trying to loop it back across the goal. Good for Phil Jones. And and he managed to not injure himself as well. Bonus and There points. was one point, though, where he did pass the ball and it did look like his hamstring had twanged just as he passed the ball. But then he started running somewhat freely. So I think he's got... He's like... He's just... He, he hasn't got... he. You know how people... I said Ollie has resting, doesn't know what he's doing face. Phil Jones has got resting hamstring snapping legs. So... Like, yeah, no, just, I know. At any moment, <laughs> his leg may just fall off. Um... So, and then, but but good for him and good for Maguire to get um, uh, his goal and an assist as well, and an assist for Victor Lindelof. The uh, the whole back line joining in because Shaw got an assist as well, as long alongside Diego Dallo's goal. Um, and then uh, and then what I think is sort of a fairly much needed goal for a player we need to be among the goals. He's received a staggering amount of criticism for not scoring in two games in a row, essentially, is what, what people have been hammering him for. Uh, Anthony Martial with a, one that took a deflection and went in the top corner. Um, th- that poor keeper at that point, I really... Who cares who he used to support? M- Martial suffers from, you know, he's uh, he, he's got a chip on his shoulder... And he looks like he's not trying and hard enough syndrome, you know, when, because I've noticed actually coming back to the cricket and again, sorry for narrowing the range of the conversation down here a little bit. People are saying the thing, saying the same thing about Joffrey Archer. Yeah, there was, I I don't want to raise the, be the snowflake here to raise the obvious thing. I mean, but, you know, there was, uh, Moeen Ali gave an interview saying that, you know, he felt he was often somewhat unfairly scapegoated for England. And uh, Dave Tickner, the cricket journalist, tweeted, oh, don't worry, Moeen, you can come back now. We've got a different one. I wonder what they have in common. Like, that's, you know, anyway, that's, we know we know about this. Uh, but, but, but for Martial, I think it's also people react badly to the concept of Martial FC and, and a sort of misunderstanding of what that means and a sort of affront to a certain kind of like, oh, no players bigger than the club. And like, no one's saying the club, anyone's bigger than the club. That, the, the term Martial FC goes back, originates in the, his first season under Van Gaal when he scored a lot of goals and no one else was really scoring any goals. And a few people started tweeting sort of as a joke. It really is Martial FC. Um, meaning he's really all we've got. That was what that was shorthand for. And now it's the name of his fan club and he should have a massive fan club among United United fans because he's a massive talent and that's completely appropriate. Sure. Look, he he is a massive talent and he can do much greater things than scoring a deflected goal against Tranmere. I think what we'd like to see is him scoring at the kind of rate that's appropriate for his talent, which is 
25 goals a season and being consistent. And that means being consistently fit. And so I, I you know, I know you love him um, and because he's a fellow countryman and, uh, you know, you're bought, fully bought, bought and paid up member of the probably founding member of the Martial FC fan club. Um, but um, for, for me, he's still not like kind of, he's not anywhere near fulfilled his potential. And we just want him to be consistent because what we're seeing now with Rashford developing this season is what we want to see from, I mean, Martial did that in his first season at the club, of course, but we want to see that from him all the time because he's got all the talent in the world. It just needs to be applied really consistently. And and we know nothing uh, about that from this game, but nice to see him get a goal. And then United just um, just eased off, basically. And, and the second half was just a a competition in passing. In fact, even for a, for a point during the second half, they allowed Tranmere to have some possession and a couple of corners. Not, I just not there wanted... was any risk to, to United of um, blowing the tie or anything like that. Not to be excessively defensive or anything, Ed, but I just want a right of reply on a couple of things you said in that uh, passage about Martial. Scoring at 0.5 goals per 90 in the Premier League uh, this season and has played uh, 1,458 minutes of the season. That's the eighth most minutes of anyone in the side. Um, like the, the maximum De Gea and Maguire have played every minute. It's 2,160. Now... I'm not saying we don't need him to stay injury free for long periods, but this is his like best season for a good long while in terms of running the side and goal return is coming on the back of it at a rate of like half a goal a game, basically. Um, so one in two, that's, I, I feel like... Well, well done on the math there, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, but that <laughs> complex, complex high level data analysis there. But I, I, I do think that's... Uh, it's just a reasonable it, it it's not unreasonable to say that we want him to be consistent and we want him to have a run in the side and to you know to show that consistently but i feel like we should also be saying yeah and this season that's kind of exactly what he's doing and he's still getting a load of stick sure and, and look, i'm not giving him the stick no i know he has played for example 350 minutes less than mo salah that's that's four and a bit games right so it he and and it's it's a pattern throughout his time at United. He's getting injuries and time off, and um, and I'm not saying it's huge amounts of injuries. I mean, Harry Kane has had seven major injuries uh, for Tottenham, um, and I'm not make, necessarily making the comparison either because obviously um, Martial hasn't yet found that kind of consistent goal scoring touch. So we just want like, I want from Martial uh, what I think his talent could show us. And he's also, he also, also, this is literally the first season since his first season where he, even in his very first season, he was playing left loads of the time and we were complaining on the show, like, why isn't he playing centre forward? And I remember Van Hal saying in a press conference that I was in that, like, we don't know what his possession, best position is yet and kind of looking at him like, what? Like, yes, we do. We absolutely do. And this is his first season since then playing any meaningful time at number nine and he's scoring a goal every other game. Um, but yeah. And, and I, anyway... He scored against Tramir is probably not the time to just go like everyone ever. Jesse Lingard scored in this game. Phil Jones, Philip Nathaniel Jones. That's probably not his middle name, but you know, it could be. Does he look like a Nathaniel to you? Philip Zebediah Jones scored in this game. So, you know, Philip Duncan Edwards Jones scored in this game. 
Um, anyway, yeah, that's Anthony. That's, yeah, yeah, Philip Anthony Jones. Oh, they named is. after Martial. See, his parents knew. They knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, talking of kids that I uh, United strikers that I'm going to get unreasonably defensive about in five years' time, Mason Greenwood. No problem for the penalty spot. I was because Martial was off. Mason by Greenwood. He's just he's just Peter Davenport with a bit of an eye for goal. <laughs> Paul, Paul's broke. just lost the run of himself, folks. Yeah. Um, that was 10 out of 10, Ed. That was 10 out of 10. Congratulations. That's all right. Um, anyway, put his, put his penalty away pretty confidently. Yeah, when um, I, I when we got the penalty, I messaged you saying, so which play, which of our players is going to miss this penalty? Because I forgot Mason Green was on the pitch. And basically everyone I could think of that could take a penalty wasn't playing. So I had visions of like Fred hitting the bar or something. Um, and then a Greenwood stepped up and was like, oh yeah, this is not going to be I a problem. I think I'm, I'm trying to remember it now. He took it with his right, didn't he? Right. Yes, he did. Took yeah. it with his right to he, the keeper's right. To the yeah. left. To the key, well, yeah, to I mean, left, showing yeah. he's particularly ambidextrous because he he's his left foot is probably his strongest, and in fact, he's taken some free kicks with his left foot in the I love uh, in the reserves and scored most of his goals with his left foot. Imagine being the kind of player who's like, right, I'm going to take penalties with my right foot and free kicks with my left foot. That is literally just showing off, and it's to be highly encouraged. It's uh, it's Ronnie O'Sullivan suddenly switching to play with his. Left-handed at the uh, at the crucible just to take the piss. Yes, Joffre Archer bowling left arm spinning the nets to warm up. That's yeah. Uh, anyway, it's it's and Mason Greenwood is just continues to be an absolute superstar in the making, and it's going to be great fun to watch his development. Assuming you know all goes as it really should for him, but that's a lot of chat about a game that doesn't mean a darn thing. Um, no, it doesn't. When, when's the draw, by the way, for the the fifth round? When do, when do we it, get City away? Will it, yeah, will it be Monday night? It tends, yeah, tends probably to be Monday something night. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, it's good to still be in this competition, especially given how much Solskjaer has invested in staying in the competition, um, and he clearly it meant a lot to him and this idea that you know this whole thing about long-termism versus short-termism there's been a a lot of short-termism aimed at keeping us in the FA Cup I mean I I saw a lot of people saying it was a surprisingly strong side this but I think leaving out Fred leaving out Williams he left he played Lingard who hasn't been getting in with a sniff of the first team really it was just sort of the the two central defenders six um, changes yeah yeah, I mean it was still a strong side because you don't have a very small squad and he doesn't seem to prepare be prepared to dip into the pool. I mean, so, you know, James Gardner didn't play. Angel Gomez didn't play. Stories around today that he missed training and that's why he was um, dropped or effectively didn't wasn't given the opportunity this time or came late for training, sorry, not missed training. Not, I don't know whether that's true, but that's uh, it's certainly been said by people who uh, should be in the know. Um, so... He didn't dip deep into the pool of youth talent for this one, but uh, mixed it up a little bit. And uh, look, I, it was hard to work out what exactly what the balance was going to be here because, yes, you want to protect United. They've played a lot of games recently, got a lot of games to come with the Europa League coming up soon. Um, theoretically still in the hunt for a Champions League spot and he hasn't had the opportunity to mix up his squad an awful lot. On the other hand, he's got to be in arse protection mode. He's He's got to be thinking about 
you know, he he is a, a, a an embarrassing defeat away from Joel Glazer getting on the phone and saying he's he's a goner. Mm, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, I guess you would say that the only guaranteed starters in the team were Lindelof, Maguire and Martial. I mean, Matic is a guaranteed starter at the moment, but he's not, as only because of injury. Um, but the, the, those other three are really the only only ones in that whole team that you'd say these are nailed on to start every game. Right. And um, one player who would have played, but for recent transfer, Ashley Young. <laughs> With a picture of the cross from the, the right-hand side for uh, um, Martinez to score for Inter on uh, in a one-all draw on Sunday. He's got it in him. One every 15 games or so, um, if that. Uh, yeah, so 1.5 million per assist. Is that better or worse than the uh, Man United transfer fee divided by total number of assists since he's been at the club? I gave up on uh, that particular metric when he moved to fullback. It was uh, no longer seemed fair. <laughs> yeah, it felt a little harsh. Um, anyway, shall we? Uh, shall we take a little break and then uh, move on to some some other nonsense? Let's do it. Enjoy no question about that. If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. So, as I said at the top of the show, absolutely delighted to be sponsored by The Athletic once again. Um, And if you don't know, maybe this is your first episode, maybe you've just skipped over these before and you've thought, hey, no, this time I'm going to listen to the boys and see what they've got to say. Uh, The Athletic is a subscription journalism service, so you pay a fee, get access to uh, incredibly high-quality writing from a number of some of the most high-profile football writers in the game, including Daniel Taylor, columns uh, with the kind of latest news and gossip from uh, David Ornstein, United coverage from Laurie Whitwell, some exclusive stuff from Andy Mitten, um... You know the drill by now, a world-class team of writers providing the best coverage of United and the Premier League in general. Um, and so within their app, um, no adverts, no annoying pop-ups, uh, just kind of pretty clean interface. You can follow the writers you like. It's, it's a nice app. I, I like using it. Um, if you want a seven-day free trial and 50% off uh, your first year's subscription, which means that it works out to eight pence a day. That's just eight pence a day. I think that price is okay. It's just eight pence a day. I, I want um, you to do this in to... different styles each week. Okay. Um, we okay. drum bass next week, trap beat, country. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I was asked how much I'd pay when my baby went away and it was eight pence a day to read football coverage to make me feel okay. There you go. That's my off the top of the dome country riff on the on the vibe. Um, woke up this morning, spent eight pence on my <laughs> athletic subscription. Four bar blues. So, <laughs> so that is, um, if you want that, offer it is theathletic.co.uk forward slash nqat pod um and then we get a little kickback on the side which you know we love that sweet sweet kickback Ooh. oh um, what, what yeah. else we love is uh, is good writing and I have to say i've always yeah. been a big fan of danny taylor not not just because he quoted me in his book <laughs> it wasn't perhaps the finest story ever have to say <laughs> no but it's been it doesn't <laughs> immortalized forever in print and uh a very very this is the one very good book by the way 
Um, anyway, this week he talks about anger. Um, starts off with a um, a long story about the comedian Dave Allen and road rage, uh, and then of course passes this into the 25th anniversary of Eric Cantona kicking the hooligan, as Eric put it, and which was on the 25th of January. God, how did 25 years go by? Because I remember this really, really keenly. And actually, I have to keep reminding myself every time this comes up that, of course, very few people watched it live. I mean, you had to be in the stadium. There was not live TV coverage of this. And and in my mind, I keep thinking, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. But you always saw it after the fact. And in fact, I'm yeah. pretty sure I was at my friend's house and we listened to this game on the radio because I'd been down to Settlerspark a lot of times um, for games, but I didn't go to this one. But yeah, 25 yeah. years ago, where'd it go? Well, the the radio commentary is particularly sort of um, like iconic in a way because it's like Jonathan Pierce absolutely letting himself down once again and proving himself to be the kind of sanctimonious reactive. Anyway, we could we, let's perhaps leave that uh, for a, not this bit of the show. <laughs> That's um, right. But, Taylor but, ends uh, his honestly, column with um, a little story about anger and uh, Ben Stokes uh, getting into some trouble at the Wanderers this week. Um, suggesting uh, that someone with glasses uh, may like to meet him outside to discuss the uh, said fan talking or, or comparing uh, Stokes to Ed Sheeran. Uh, very funny little uh, anecdote, that one. It's a bit of a shame for Ed Sheeran, who's a massive cricket fan, that like he will definitely know that Stokes wanted to kill someone for saying he looked like Ed Sheeran. To be fair, I think it's probably the, the tone in which this was said. But it's a brilliant article, and it's part of his column, so it covers multiple different subjects. And he, he talks about um, uh, Mark Sampson. Yeah, former, not- former women's team, England women's team man- um, manager. He was found, um, in inverted commas, not guilty... Uh, but really about of a new accusation of abuse. But so everyone's kind of like, even the club that he works for now, like, yeah, he's been exonerated. And then Dan and Taylor points out, if you look at the findings, he's not exonerated at all. It's just, they can't prove either way what happened. That is not exoneration, but anyway. No, I believe uh, any of locals on this one. And, uh, and yeah, I think, well, yeah, absolutely. Samson got sacked. Not for racism, actually, but for um, for a, a sexual relationship with a player. So, um, not a nice fella. But you know, like um, the 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 Luku thing, as Daniel Taylor points out, did stick, and that he was found to have done. That, you know, anyway. So it's a, it's a, like how he's working in football. It's, it's well, how he's working in football. Daniel Taylor sort of talks about as well. Um, Victoria Derbyshire. And that show being taken off the air and he sort of um, talks about her crucial role in something. And he's pretty uh, humble about this himself. But Daniel Taylor's work around um, sex offenders in football and the Really, the really critical and crucial. And then in fact, a new a- case absolutely. this week that Taylor's been reporting on um, at Watford. And, and you know, like, um, honestly, when it was announced that he was going to the Athletic, that was the point at which I was like, right, well, I'm going to have to sign up for this because I want to read what he's got to say. I, I genuinely think, like, if if I could only read one actual journalistic football writer for the rest of my life, I think I'd pick Danny Taylor, to be honest. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, also, also loads- this week, um, I don't know whether we... We hadn't talked about it on the last pod, did we? Um, new podcast from The Athletic... About Manchester United, it's not as good as this pod, but you know we like Carl, so we'll be nice to him. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NQAT pod. Uh, their podcasts, by the way, are not just behind the paywall, so you can listen to them wherever you get podcasts. Um, and the United one is called Talk of the Devils. Um, but yeah, uh, athletic.co.uk forward slash NQAT pod for a seven day free trial and 50% off a year's subscription. <laughs> So, uh, before the break, you said we might come back with some other nonsense. This feels like some good nonsense. Man United fans have been singing about how they're going to kill Ed Woodward. And people have got real mad. Now, it will not surprise you, dear listener, to know that I don't particularly like this chant. Just as I have never liked the exact same chant that they've been singing for 30 years about Man City. Um, the, the, literally, you just take out Ed Woodward and plug in Man City and that exact, exact, word for word, exact chant has been sung at almost every game for the last 30 years. So, all right then, let's all get super mad now. Why, Ed, would it be useful and, um, sort of a recurrent theme in the press currently for this particular Ed Woodward, deflecting attention away from the negative actions of Ed Woodward onto the terrible response to them. Where might this be coming from, do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, the cynic in me, and you know I'm never cynical, Paul, because I just (laughs) just never. Um, The cynic in me might say that uh, perhaps Ed Woodward has just hired a high-profile former sports editor of a of a Fleet Street newspaper. Fleet Street, that ages me, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Whopping-based newspaper uh, to be his uh, his uh, personal PR consultant. But that would be a cynical response. It can possibly be true, could it? So, um, Neil Ashton, you talked about it, I think, on the show, or maybe it was during, it was, I think it was during one of our adverts, actually, you, you mentioned that Neil Ashton had left his career in journalism to uh, to start PR and had been hired by Manchester United. At this point, it does not look like he has been... I mean, I don't mean this as in I've seen who's hired him and seen the books. What I mean is the resultant coverage does not look like he's been hired by Manchester United so much as Ed Woodward. The absolutely most staggering... I mean, we'll come on to talk about the chance thing. Um, but the most staggering thing was the story in The Sun, which Neil Ashton used to be the sports editor of, written by... Uh, certified well let's just say sun journalist and you can all fill certified in the blanks sun, he's definitely a certified sun journalist yeah and that, yeah. And that is i mean in one one cruelly cruelly when one manager called him fat cruelly but i mean uh, listen honestly when he shout when louis van hal shouted fat man i was slightly worried he was asking if i was in the press conference so i'm not gonna have a i'm not gonna fat shame the man um but you're the, very uh, svelte these days <laughs> still a long way to go but we're getting there um but the uh the point is neil custis is a sun journalist and that is a euphemism and literally true Anyway, the headline of this story is don't blame Woodward. He's been let down by managers underneath him and bosses above him. And you're like, oh, so your old colleague and presumably Sunday supplement and work-based chum is now Ed Woodward's PR consultant. And you've put this in a newspaper claiming it to be news that Ed Woodward has been let down by the people around him. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it begs belief. 
Um, it's 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 interesting because. Of course, within the sort of bubble of Manchester United fans on social media, particularly particularly on Twitter, where this debate plays out a lot, it looks like um, you know Ashton has sold Ed Woodward up river, basically, uh, you know, with two hand sized paddles, and but it's not quite how media works, of course, because people do have their own echo chambers and their own bubbles and. And the sun still has a massive reach. So the message that Edward Wood clearly wants to get out there that, um, you know, it's other people that have let him down and he's the uh, the real genius behind United's, uh, you know, commercial behemoth. Uh, and and it's he's just been unlucky. And Manchester United have been unlucky and he's done everything right. And, you know, and look how smart we were in the summer, you know. That's clearly the message he wants to get out. The message that his... Bosses are also to blame. I'm not sure. I mean, the in there was a there was a piece in the uh, Athletic this week talking about um, transfers, right? And what 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 do you do if you want to get a transfer? Um, and one of the pieces of advice, which was quite funny, which was basically don't piss off the billionaire owner because you're never going to get what you want because it because it's all about ego at that point. I remember when David Moyes was in charge of Manchester United, brief brief pause to let everyone allow the shudder that just ran down their spine to run down their spine. Um, not that things are actually better now than they were then, but hey. Um, hey, we had it good when Moyes was in charge. Yeah, well, I mean, points-wise at this stage in the season, we considerably did. But anyway, um, uh, when David Moyes was in charge of Manchester United, I remember him saying even Fergie would be struggling with this squad. And I thought at the time two things. One, he literally won the league with this squad the season before, you absolute moron. Um, and secondly, uh, I don't think you should uh, go after your benefactor because he's going to be in a boardroom somewhere saying, I stood on that pitch and said, stand behind your new manager. And now he might be going, well, actually, I think he's a bit of a div. Um, but this, this, that felt like a very, that felt almost like, that Custis article felt almost like Woodward shooting for his future beyond Manchester United? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know. Look, he's uh, he's been more than a decade out of uh, investment banking. I'm not sure he would... I'm not an expert on investment banking, but I know enough people in the space. I, I'm not sure he's getting another job back in that world necessarily. Maybe. Um, he's not getting another job in football at £4 million a year, plus plus... Uh, points, you know, on on chairs vesting at some stage we don't know, right? Definitely not for a club, for an institution that turns over um, uh, a little over six hundred million. He's very well paid. He's a very well paid executive. I mean, in, in my industry, um, I work in tech. Uh, I um, I know people who are in charge of multi billion pound either companies or divisions of companies that don't get don't get paid anywhere near that mm, at all absolutely um th- it's the kind of weird football small business big business bubble isn't it it's like football is not big business football is small business but it has a big business profile so they get paid you know and there's a the the a load of the money in football goes into its people in a way that it doesn't in other industries because they're not sure. spending money on R and D yeah. and stuff. But anyway, um, the uh, the then so so that was the first wave of PR and the next wave of PR has been story after story after story about these chants and I 
it just makes me sick. Like I hate I hate the fact that football is is so like you know ratchets and hammers and Stanley knives and spanners. Like all of that is is I I, I remember like one man went to mow one man and his baseball mat bat all that like oh, it's a classic that one is i've never liked any of it but that's me like i that's obvious obviously i don't like that everyone knows anyone that's ever listened to this show before knows that um but i also don't like it when there's rank hypocrisy in the coverage of something because nope that football writers have not just realized that football fans chant really objectionable stuff all the time yeah, no, look, in, in a way, it's it's like expecting nursery school kids to be nice to each other. Yeah, I mean, it, it is tribal and uh, football fans do say stuff which, or, or, or pretending what a comedian says in a set is what he actually thinks, you know, and, and, we, and they actually get the same kind of journalistic tone of article. Comedians do. They've said something horrible in a, you know, hey, Folks, football fans sing stuff they never actually believe. There aren't too many Manchester United fans who want to literally set Edward Wood on fire or chop him into pieces. Our next owners may want to because, you know, they're into that kind of thing. If that comes to pass. Shouldn't have made that joke. (laughs) Hey, my friendly friends in Riyadh. (laughs) Don't chop me up. Uh, But... You know, I, and I think, I think, as with a lot of comedians, particularly comedians in positions of power, uh, sometimes it's very easy to not hold people account to what they say and their influence on the culture. And I think there's a broader discussion. Daniel Taylor's article, which um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, on the Athletic during the the commercial break, but Daniel Taylor's article talks about football and the level of anger and the level of anger in sport and the level of anger in society and i think it's it's a big problem and i think it's it's too easy as a general rule to just say well football fans are just football fans and it's fine but i also don't think you can go um now because ed woodward's hired a pr consultant and they're singing mean things about him and he doesn't like it we should all wring our hands about this particular thing which is like i said earlier it is word for word that that think like you know how ed woodward and man city have the same number of syllables like if you don't haven't regularly gone to united games and you might not follow all the chants on the tv coverage just so you know, this chant that everyone's going mad about that sounds so disgusting and disgraceful has been sung for almost every game for 30 years. <laughs> well, so. yeah, quite. Look, just a few notes on how PR works, right? It's it's not generally um, a profession in which some kind of guy in the shadows with some magic casts a spell over journalists in order to make them go and write the thing that their client wants to write. You know, it is about... Uh, personal relationships, in which case Neil Ashton is going to leverage those, but he won't be able to do it for that long. And it's about making the other side of the coin, so you know, not the client, but the the journalist's life as easy as possible, in order that they provide the kind of copy that you want. Right. So, in order to get these stories, he's going to have to give something up, and the the something he's going to give up, uh, going, going to have to give up, are little tidbits that will be fed to him by. Ed Woodward, if Ed Woodward is basically the, you know, the client, right? So, yeah, we will see other stuff 
exclusive behind the scenes, didn't know details on Manchester United's strategy um, in the you know in the papers with key journalists that they want to influence for sure. And just look out for that. It won't just be this wave of suddenly Edward was getting loads of good press and there's a bunch of distraction stuff going on elsewhere. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And it's, 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 you know, it's always important to understand how these things work behind the scenes. And I, I think it's interesting that you've got a kind of, um, it's a subculture, not a culture, but you have a subculture of people who are switched on enough to know, especially like there's certain like key voices in that subculture who are, are calling this out and like, but then fans become more broadly aware. A lot of 15 year olds on the internet that know Ed Woodward's hired a PR consultant and that's why these stories are approaching. Of course, there's, um, there's a kind of assumed excessive there's an excessive level of assumed literacy on the part of a lot of people um, and stuff, really crucial stuff gets missed in that. But it is kind of interesting that you've got like this whole subculture who understand at least the basics of what's happening here. Um, And that that it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out over the next few weeks and what sorts of stories we've seen. I mean, you know, we've called out repeatedly. I think it was, um, uh, after the the Burnley game, Tom messaged us in the in the in the WhatsApp to say, um, like, when are the stories going to start appearing at Solskjaer's job safe? And I did a quick Google. It's like, yeah, two hours ago. <laughs> they, you know, we we kind of know how the briefing mechanics at United work, don't we? They're they're pretty obvious. Yes. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see how um and uh, Ed Woodward's new um. New flack is uh, going to help him out. We'll, we'll see whether it works or not. I, I mean, clearly the thing that is going to matter most of all is providing a successful product. Although you can't polish this turd without some success. Just can't. Exactly, because it's like, look at the, the league table and that, you know, if it doesn't look good. Well, I, actually, I would say in this particular instance, look at the league table very specifically the number of points earned in the league table rather than the relative position to the other walking dumpster fires that this league is made up of uh, ollie did a humble brag in his press conference the other days when he's saying well you know we're we're fifth in the table but i don't want to labor on us being fifth in the table i was like yes you're one defeat away from ninth you're two away from 14th it's it's like a very very humble humble brag, isn't it? It's a very like the the level of brag is very small indeed. Like, yeah, fifth in the league, honestly, six points off a team that can barely string two results together, literally only being propped up by the performances of like three key individual players. Honestly, absolute shambles. Anyway, uh, talking about absolute shambles, should we take some questions from the listeners? That's one of the most stupid questions I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> test my patience. <laughs> Are you insulting our listeners now? No, not at all, not at all. Um, I just, uh, it's it's Twitter, isn't it? That's, no, that's, that's the bit that's an absolute shambles. I've got one that I'd like to start with, if you don't go mind, Go on then, Dave. go for it, go for it. Um, it's from friend of the show, at that James boy. Do you regret taking a swipe at Steve Bruce? No, <laughs> I didn't take a swipe at him. I merely... Uh, Merely benched Mark Harry Maguire against Steve Bruce. Very different thing indeed. 
Uh, people want to get, you know, a bit touchy about it, a bit soft, a bit snowflakey. Well, that's their problem. Alex Dixon says, how many of our next six games do we win using the team which we played against Tranmere, City, Wolves, Chelsea, Club Bruges twice and Watford? Club I mean, Bruges twice. Is, 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 yeah, Club Bruges twice. Any, any of the players who started today that don't normally start played their way into the side, Lingard do enough to play his way into the side, Phil Jones? Well, Phil Jones... I mean, sure. Given that he's second choice now, no. the The answer to that question is obviously, definitely no. Um, I mean, maybe you could say Dallo, but Dallo did enough. If he was, but he's got the hardest job. He's unseating someone who's actually good at their job. Um, especially since Wan Bissaka's crossing seems to be improving as well. Um, I, I don't think anyone anyone there's going to break through that Lingard. Played all right, got man of the match. I think that was slightly generous. Um, Jermaine, Jermaine Generous, because Jermaine Generous gave him the... Anyway, um, yeah, uh, well, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I, do you think anyone did? No, and and like even, in fact, Mason Greenwood really, I mean, he had a decent game, but he wasn't, he didn't have a huge impact on the game. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not having to go at Green, um, Mason Greenwood before you get all touchy about it. You knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pelters got tin hat on today. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, no, it, it was it was nice to see Delo fit again. Luke Shaw hasn't done anything to convince us. I mean, he ran past a couple of players. I was like, whoop, there's something left in the tank. But uh, I don't think he did anything to suggest that he's a better option uh, on Wednesday than Brandon Williams. And I, I'm going to assume that. Since Brandon Williams didn't start, he is starting on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the key thing about the pecking order. I mean, we know this, right? We know that Williams has overtaken Shaw in the pecking order, and this was yet more proof of it because it's like, yeah, Luke Shaw, you can play against the league. One club will use the teenager against Man City. Um, so, yeah. That's... The Torch says, uh, so it sounds like, you know, he should be playing bass for a rock band. But... Our performance is matching what we expected at the outside outset of the season, uh, battling for fourth to sixth. We as humans understand that meaningful progress takes time and effort, so why United fans and football fans in general are always in such a counterproductive emotional panic? Well, I think it's kind of, it's partly, I mean, it's a fair point if you take kind of Ollie's view that we're in fifth place, but we are literally a defeat away from ninth and a couple away from 14th. It's such a pain this whole argument because people are so sure that the other side of that i don't mean uh the torch in particular but people in general are so sure about almost everything that the people on the other side from the argument to them are idiots like there are some signs of some sort of building and some sort of progress in some areas he's ollie has got some things right he's not just a walking calamity he's not you know walking under lampposts and smashing into window panes. And, you know, that that's not what it's been like. But I think it's also reasonable to say after a year in charge, let's say, um, well, he's made a lot of decisions in a year, right? A year is a lot. You get to make a lot of decisions. And how many of those decisions were the right decisions for building towards the future of Manchester United? That question, you can't know for sure what the answer to that is. And, but I would suggest that there is plenty of evidence that it's not going well. So I get why people are in a kind of emotional panic. And I, I think there is some counterproductive short-termism in football, but you can also be counterproductively long-termist. I mean, you know, Fergie, Fergie was the killer app for people who say, 
hold on to your manager because it's like things weren't going very well they held on and it turned into the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of football but there's a lot of evidence like Alex Ferguson won the cup when his cup with Aberdeen broke up the duopoly in Scotland like that nobody's done it since nobody had done it for 40 years beforehand like it's you know he already had this extraordinary way and you know yes applying this argument for Ollie just doesn't work at all no he just doesn't have anywhere near the CV so yeah um Andy Davis asked a question on a theme here there are several like this so I'm picking this one out because it's uh it's kind of nicely worded why shouldn't you walk out next week? So what, what do you think about the walkout? Great plan? question. So um, I I know that some people uh, think that it is sort of inappropriate to choose a memorial. 58th. And, and I, I get that. So the, the just for people that aren't following this story closely, the idea is that a 58th minute walkout uh, in the game that's meant to memorialise, well, is the kind of, annual memorialization for the busby babes um to register the protest uh, against the way that the club's being run and some people are saying it feels like this is the wrong thing to use and i have a lot of sympathy for that argument because you could say actually this is not necessarily the time for that the the counter to that for me is actually this isn't about ignoring the memorialization of the busby babes it's about saying what our club has become almost doesn't deserve to carry this lineage anymore. Like, I, it say that the plan is to go out in the 58th minute and go and gather around the Munich clock. Well, there's going to be quite a lot of crowd crush if that happens because the, the, there's going to have to be some good organisation if that's done. Um, but something like that would, would kind of make sense to me because actually I'd, I think it's kind of reasonable to say, like, what have we become? Yeah, look, I, th- I think that's a fair argument. Um, the cynic in me, back again, uh, thinks this probably won't happen because any attempts at creating walkouts that have some kind of buzz on social media in the past haven't really worked. In, and like kind of people, individuals and organically um, created protests haven't really materialised. It's hard because it's a, it's a very sticky product and you're asking people to give up the thing they love the second part about um how it's framed as 58 well it's kind of interesting isn't it because if you read any of manchester united's marketing material it's all leveraged on the past all of it because there's nothing in the present at all um so there's uh if you if you look through one of the pitch documents for one of their sponsors for example um and um they send these pitch documents practically out to potential sponsors with a whole bunch of presents and weird stuff anyway. It's another story. Um, I have a few stories <laughs> along that line. Um, it, it's about their 140-odd-year history. It's about the the um, the trophies that United once won, about the players they, we once had. Um, so the club do this entirely. Um, they also claim to have a 1.1 billion followers. It's gone up somewhat from the 659 million they once claimed, which is, by the way, mathematically, I would say, impossible given the reach of TV brands and media. But yeah, hey. So you were making a you were making a point anyway. though about that the link to the memorialization and the walkout. Yeah, no, just my, I, I mean, I'm not making a point 
but there's a there's a correlation or a um, relationship, a, uh, yeah, a parallel, a relationship here. Yeah, so um, yes, United's communication is entirely about their past. So in which case, it's fair game, and I don't think people who want to walk out in in that vogue um, are trying to be no and and i think that you i I think that the it's interesting because the more i've learned about the munich air crash watching the busby documentary earlier this year the more i think we should really take the memorialization of this very very seriously like i've never i've always i don't know i've got a strange relationship with memorialization in general because a lot of it particularly in this country is around war and lots of kind of um it gets very co-opted and all this we've talked every year we talk about the poppy campaign and all that stuff but this this feels like something where actually we does we should be keeping the flame of this memory alive we should be you know we should as a community remember this thing that happened to you know uh which my parents would just about remember but you know this is something of loads of people would be their kind of great grandparents that would remember it well it's something we should kind of keep alive in our hearts. And and I think if you walk out in the 58th minute, you should be doing it like in silence or singing songs of remembrance of those players or, you know, something like that. I don't think it should be, I don't think you can do it and divorce yourself from the, like do it in a kind of refusal to memorialise. But I don't think anyone is really saying that's what they should do. I, I'd say there's a wider question, which I'd, I'd be interested in your take on, Ed, which is like... um the, you know, you said, like, it's difficult to get these kind of things going. There, there was a Liverpool fan who mentioned that actually their protests against Hicks and Gillette were really effective, but it, it feels like actually Hicks and Gillette also were just, like, Liverpool was about to go bankrupt and they were in real big trouble and it it wasn't, like, a case, a sort of simple case of fan protests got them out. Newcastle, like, Newcastle fans have been tearing their hair out trying to get Mike Ashley out of the club, but football fans won't do the thing the only thing that's actually in their power, which is stop going and, you know. No, that's right. And and in fact, you know, the majority of people, if there is some kind of walkout, are likely to be season ticket holders have already handed over their money. In fact, everyone will have handed over, over their money already. But, you know, the power of symbolism is important in football because the way United make their money, aside from broadcast and a little bit of match day, 16% is match day, 30-something percent of the club's income is through commercial partnerships and they want to be associated with United and the glory and the reach. Um, and so if it looks like a tarnished product, that's going to impact the bottom line. Anyway, uh, move on. A couple of questions um, from uh, Holvard Hordvik and TK United in a related theme. Are there, there potential buyers to of a club this size that aren't from the Middle East? What kind of buyers could that be? And TK asks, would you prefer the Saudis buying Newcastle and Manchester United? So I'm going to take the second one um, uh, first. Because actually, none. I think it would be a damning indictment on the um, powers that be in football if um, a regime of that nature was allowed to. I mean, it's bad enough that there are some other really dodgy, you know, nation states. I mean, we're owned by Americans, and the Americans do plenty of dodgy things. But as far as I know, um, they're the Glazer family are not in government. You know, and there's some nation states that own clubs around Europe and. Uh, this is a particularly despotic nation state um, which likes to behead and chop up journalists and uh, hack into rich people's phones. Uh, one, of, one of my friends um, saying that the fact that they've hacked 
Bezos's phone might make him so annoyed he buys Man United, um, which I apparently would... no interest. I, did, I have I have asked around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also know some people who know Jack Ma, who, who does like football, but no interest in buying a football club. I mean, like putting the feelers out saying, guys, guys. <laughs> but, you know, like, I feel like a kind of tech billionaire with terrible employment record, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, that isn't really any better. I, the, the problem is we're at the level of money where there's no clean billions anywhere in this, this world. There's no clean billions. No, no. I mean, look, of course, look, theoretically, Bezos could uh, buy United and not even notice it and then just run the club on its own merits. No debt, just spend the money you've got and the club would be extremely successful. Presumably put the right kind of structures in place and fired some uh, key senior executives. Yeah. Um, the, the thing about that is, uh, on, a, on a sort of brief technicality, it's probably worth mentioning that Amazon are trying to get into the football broadcast game. So um, we saw when Sky tried to buy a minority share in United or Murdoch did anyway, there was all sorts of problems with the the broadcasters owning the institutions. And- yeah, so that was the competition's uh, authority decision, that one, which actually looks quite quaint when you look at it now. I don't think that would actually, I don't, it, it doesn't, I mean, you know, it doesn't, it's not made a precedent that you couldn't break. Um, I, I'm not sure that um, Amazon, which currently has a, a very minor share of football uh, rights in the UK and none in European terms, would look like uh, being anti-competitive if they owned a club. No. Um, but then, if they then wanted to broadcast everything and they owned a club anyway, that's... I don't think they do. Um, so, yeah, having chatted to some people on the inside here, it's it's very hard for Amazon to demonstrate value um, because... So they use video to drive Prime subscriptions, which is extremely profitable for them, but the rate of prime subscription to Amazon users in the UK is extremely high. So it's all marginal gains. Right. Because mo- what you're saying is most people that, or loads of people that use prime, use Amazon have Prime. Really highly penetrated. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> this is my favourite question of the week. At I want to run to you, friend of the show, Connor, long, long time friend of the show, as will be apparent from this question. Says, hi, Ed. I knew Paul was handsome. Can you see why I picked this question? But I didn't know you were too. My question is, who were the top three best looking United players ever? What I want to know is like, where, where is the new info come from? Like maybe he's as he as There is no new info. He's just trying to get in on the uh, question game. <laughs> this is a brilliant and I job. Fully, I fully appreciate it. And in fact, actually, if people want to send checks made out to Ed at yeah somebody uh, somebody did say we need a higher level Patreon tier um, where like people get to see your face I was like I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have to pay as much to see a picture of Ed's face pretty sure the rate's quite low also Ed's face has been out there it's been out there it's it's you've kind of managed you so lazy you could all uh, you could discover this if you wanted yeah. anyway who were the top three best looking United players ever that's his real question and it's a really Oof. good question there's some stiff competition <laughs> um, I would say I would say that uh, 80s era Brian Robson like at his in his prime, there's a certain rugged eighties handsomeness. Kind of r- r- rugged, yeah. rugged handsomeness. You're going to go with Clayton yeah. Bratmore, aren't you? Because you like the pretty boys. <laughs> Said steady on. <laughs> I was going to go with uh, Robin Van Persie because you know he's he's definitely top. Yeah, uh, he's he's pretty pretty handsome man. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of competition for places in this in this arena. Lots of different you know little one matter. Although I think he's probably your friend, isn't he? 
you know. <laughs> well, to be honest, Ed, that's what I'd be angling for with all of them. But listen, um, no, that you know, that there's there's been some Patrice Evra, very handsome young man. But I think the actual winner of this is a man with his collar up and his chest out and his shoulders back, striding, bestriding the place like a colossus. Eric Cantona, obviously. Number one. All right, I think we should move on. Yeah, it's probably time to. Should we have a break, cool off, and then come back with a city preview? All right. Enjoy no question about that. If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. So, the City game. Uh, we're 3-1 down and... Uh, well, more or less entirely devoid of hope. I don't know. Are you, are you more or less entirely devoid of hope for this one? Feels like a spectacular long shot to think. Well, we'll turn I'm gonna, it I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig deep into the bag of you know completely meaningless tropes associated with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and say we've always got Paris, which is exactly what Ollie said last week, or in fact after the. The, uh, the first City game. So, yes, we've always got Paris. It seems unlikely. I mean, City, I don't think, would or rarely mismanage a game in the way that Paris Saint-Germain did on that night. Um, and I could, just can't see it. I mean, they're going to have so much possession uh, that it's, it's, gonna, it's very, very hard to come from two goals down playing on the break, you know, without trying to force the game. Because you, you're you know, like City can just double up, you know, play the double pivot in midfield, have an extra man covering at the back. Um, they don't have to throw too many men forward. They can just keep the ball, suck the oxygen out of the game. I mean, there's so many ways for City to manage this game properly and and cover up their weaknesses that it's hard to see where United can exploit something. So what you're looking for is United to score an early goal from some, you know, wonder strike or a corner or a set piece or something like that, which is like takes the game management out uh, and in order to change the dynamic. And even then, it just seems unlikely. Yeah, so I just, uh, while you were talking there, looked up a few odds. Um, the, you can get nine to one on United to win this match, not to qualify, to win this match. Wow, um, in a two-horse race. Yeah, nine to one. And the best price or like the... I'm going to have me some of that. I know <laughs> which, which betting exchange should I... Uh, uh, I don't know. Should look, put that one on. Look it up yourself or don't more more likely. But anyway, it's, uh, oh, and, and it's like three to ten, two to seven for City. Now, when you look at the to qualify market, um, <laughs> that you're getting... Uh, one to a hundred, so you bet a hundred pounds to win a pound. Um, so uh, if you want City to qualify, and if you seems like a sound investment, yeah. And if you if you think that United are going to do this, you get fifty to one. Um, so that the bookmakers are roughly estimating that if this game was played fifty one times, uh, Manchester United would win one of them. <laughs> uh, that's it's it's it it seems remarkably unlikely well, this happens yes i i mean i just i don't see it i, I just I'm, I'm struggling to create a scenario in my head in which united do manage to do it because it's um there's um there's no away goals rule so united have to score twice without reply to take this into extra time you know 
and then another one to win it. Yeah. Um, it obviously, obviously worth saying at this point that the uh, the odds for Manchester United getting past PSG and pulling off that particular comeback would have been extremely sizable also. So, you know, things do happen that defy the odds. Um, it's just they don't happen very often. And them having happened once before doesn't necessarily make them more likely to happen the next time. Um, in fact, I suspect mathematically, uh, maybe, I don't know, probably... No, re- com- it, it, probably no, they're, they're head unrelated. So, yeah, they are unrelated mathematically. That's right. Yeah, I remember probably. So it's heads and tails, isn't it? It's all that stuff. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, well, I think if we uh, chuck the coin up um, thousands of times in this game... I know. I, I think fifty to one. I mean, like to win the game. Fine. Yes. There's. I can see a scenario in which United can win the game. Right. One chance. Defend well. Um, but you have to change the way you play to do it twice. Yeah. No. I. I think it's. And and you know, this would be a big, big ask. Like a really big ask if United were at something like full strength. But our two arguably three genuinely arguably three most important players for for this particular game would be missing and that's Pogba who was missing from Paris but you know Rashford even this season take Pogba out of the equation Rashford and Scott McTominay who is nowhere near our best player but is one of the most important players and basically the only player in the squad who can do the job that he does which is, you know, there are many players in the world that could do it better than he does and would have other strings to their bow on top of it. So I'm not saying he's like an un- unreplaceable genius. I'm saying he's the only Scott McTominay we've got in our squad. There's no one else that does that defensive job. Just look at the data in terms of chances given up with him in the team and without. All right. So we're done and out of that cup. Because at the moment, the trouble's still on, isn't it? <laughs> oh, by the way, it's a small side note, right? You know how Liverpool are obviously... We know the thing about them, the league and all that. We know about that. That's happening. Um, they've got a perfectly reasonable chance of winning the Champions League as well. I don't think that's a wild shout. Obviously, it's a knockout competition. It's hard to win, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I hope you're not going where I think you might be going with no, this. No, I'm. I'm saying Jurgen Klopp has said they drew today, right? Um, so there's a replay, and Jurgen Klopp said he's not going to play any senior players, and he's not going to manage the team. And I think if I were a Liverpool fan, I'd be looking at this going. Like this, we could have we could have taken their one thing that they'll always have over us away from them um, this season. So I think I'd be a bit annoyed by that if I was a Liverpool fan. Anyway, fortunately, I'm not. Home to Shrewsbury could still do it with the reserves. Should still do it with the reserves. What? Why is he not managing the team? Don't want to. Do you remember Fergie? Fergie didn't a couple of times, a couple of games. Yeah, but there was like he was at a wedding one time or a family illness, maybe both. And then he went to see David De Gea. I think those were the three times he missed. Yeah, Yeah. two emergencies and one emergency because he had to get his keeper. (laughs) So if if it is like, you know, I'm more important, that's extremely disrespectful to the competition and to Shrewsbury. Yeah, I mean, honestly... You know, Manchester United were forced out of the FA Cup by the government in 1990-whenever, 2000. 2000. I mean, 2000, and the government at the time was quite happy, and the FA, who who all knew exactly what was happening, um, as we've seen in the the recent deep dive on the athletic, um, and happy for United to take the flag. If Jurgen Klopp's saying, 
I'm too important to manage in this tie. We've got other stuff to do. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would never do that because he's perfectly willing to break his players' actual spines to get past one more round in this competition. So anyway, there we go. Um, all right. So prediction, because we just do this every game. Uh, We're going to lose 2 0, is mine. Okay. I think we are going to score a goal in this game. And I think that we're going to lose 2 1. So there you go. Um, let's hope it is a, another miraculous result. And we look forward to a League Cup final. That's the glorious prize at the end of this miraculous result. Seems unlikely. Yeah. I'm talking of United City games. Uh, Manchester United's women's team played City in the fourth round of the Women's mm-hmm. FA Cup. Um, on Saturday, lost 3-2 in a pretty entertaining game. I'd say they were second best for most of the game, but did did a really interesting thing, which was press and press and press and press and force City into a lot of mistakes uh, and and managed to get one of the goals directly from one of the the, you know, the presses. You said um, Lauren James scored a worldie in that one as well. Scored a really good goal, yeah, cutting in onto her left foot and uh, smashing home at what looks like the keeper's near post, but it's just really cleanly struck. Yeah, she's, you know, she's grown a lot this season, I think, from last season. I think she's look- didn't start the game, uh, but looking like she's a real talent. Um, I, we saw someone on our Instagram said they thought the officiating in this one was particularly questionable. Did you spot any of that when you were watching? Well, so there was um, one that looked like it was over the line. It was really hard to say because they got one stationary camera at Lee Sports Village, so it's not great angles at all to see it. But from a couple of the stills, it looks like it's over the line. Of course, the bottom of the ball can be over the line because it's a sphere. Not all of the ball might be over the line, so it's really hard to say. Um, but I'd say the the standard of officiating in the women's game is not that high. Often They often use very young, inexperienced refs. Um, and... You know, I think it probably does a disservice to the women's game that the um, the top refs aren't shared around mm. a bit. I mean, but it, you know, we had a little chat after the game. I didn't see it, but you were, you were saying they just look really well coached. This side, they look like they all know their jobs and they're they doing do them. look. This is a this is a team. I mean, they, look, they started out with two players in wide areas. United use width uh, very well. Um, the women's team do, uh, and they started out with two players probably unfamiliar in those positions, and I think that did impact on. Uh, how United played, but you know, I, I think they, they seem like a very well drilled side whose players know what they're doing. A um, couple, couple of players have converted into different positions as well. So, um, a lad who came in over the a summer, lad? formerly. You said a lad. Yeah. <laughs> lad. No, lad. Oh, <laughs> my bad. Sorry. I thought you said a lad who yeah. came in over the summer. I was like, well, okay. That would seem like <laughs> changing changeable circumstance. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, she's uh, moved from being a striker to uh, a midfielder um, and being converted really well because she's uh, had a very good season. So anyway, um, there's a Conti Cup semi-final against Chelsea coming up uh, on Wednesday night. So another chance for United to make um, make yeah, a final. Brilliant. Um, I, I really, I just haven't watched hardly any of this and it's something that I I would like to do but um it's honestly I watch almost no football apart from the Manchester United men's first team so that's that's 
the reason. <laughs> I can't remember the last football match. I tried to watch some of Watford against Tottenham last weekend because I had a bad leg and I couldn't do anything else. And honestly, it was just so boring. I was like, I would rather do almost anything than watch this Jose Mourinho team labour to, I think, a draw against Watford. But anyway. Um, all right, that's quite enough podcasting for one day. Backers, though, stay tuned for even more content. We're going to talk about the anniversary of Eric Cantona's talking of angry anger and football and angry fans. We're going to talk about Eric Cantona taking matters into his own feet. Um, uh, so stay tuned for that. And fist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, everyone else, we will see you after. We'll see you on Friday to cover everything that goes on in that City game and preview the weekend's game against Wolves. See you then. See you next week or later this week. Thanks for that.